This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Gabby Strout, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, Now, Gabby was a dedicated primary school teacher with nearly 15 years' experience. Months later, she resigned in frustration and despair when she realised that the NAPLAN test education model was stopping her from doing the very thing she was best at, teaching individual children according to their needs and talents. Gabby's groundbreaking 2016 essay, Teaching Australia, outlined her experiences and lifted the lid on a scandal that is yet to properly break, that our education system is unfair to our children and destroying their teachers. In Teacher, her powerful and vitally important memoir published in July 2018, Gabby expands on her essay to tell the full story, how she came to teaching, what makes a great teacher, what our kids truly need from their teachers, and what it was that finally broke her. It is so topical at the moment, isn't it? Mm, It is, and it's interesting just hearing that, you know, like this sort of scandal that's yet to break, and I'm just thinking as you're saying that, I think it's broken. I think that the word is out that our system is failing us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also, too, I feel the the tremendous pressure on teachers. Um, Many of my friends are are teachers, but I read that article last week where the teacher was stabbed by Mm, a parent, by a mother. Male teacher was stabbed by a mother. Yes, yes. Uh, and then in the Good Weekend ran an article recently on a principal that was victimised by parents. Um, it's a changing landscape, isn't it? Absolutely. From when, well, definitely from when I was at school, yes. where the teacher was always right. Mm, mm. Um, but you're younger me, younger than me. So talk to me about how this came about. I think you're right. I think it is a changing landscape. And I think that what happened was that all these things sort of crept in and each thing on its own um, seems quite harmless, you know. So when I'm talking about these things, I'm talking about... um, methods of standardisation that infiltrated um, our education system. So it was just little things like we went back to A to E reporting, so grading our our kids on each assessment task that they did and we rolled out a national curriculum that would make things standard across um, all the states and territories and we introduced NAPLAN and we linked it to the My Schools website and each of these things on its own just seemed like, oh yes, that's seems like, you know, something that's okay to do and it seems necessary and it seems like it serves a purpose. But over time, those things all combined together to really change the landscape of education. It made the the landscape very standard and very um, quantifiable and measurable and um, 
in that way, then everything could be, and everyone involved could be held to account, you know, because you had to measure up against these grades and against the My School website and the NAPLAN results. You had to achieve against the the, um, the national curriculum. And what, what happened when all of those things came into place was then many of the relationships that underpin um, good teaching, they also changed as well because suddenly, um, you know, teachers were having um, these NAPLAN, oh, sorry, parents were having these NAPLAN results thrust into their hands and not being educators themselves, they were looking and seeing these results and thinking, well, my child's not in this particular band or achieving at this particular um, level, what's going on? And they would, you know, they felt then entitled to come in and question it because suddenly um, education was something measurable and quantifiable and it was all this information was being shared with people who didn't really understand the nuances and the complexities of education and, and even of of their child's development. So it certainly has been a changing landscape and, and at I, the end of... I have never, and sorry to interrupt, mm. but I have never seen a profession so challenged and victimised mm. as I have seen teachers. Mm. And it, from where I see it, it comes from everywhere. It mm. comes from parents. It comes from grandparents. It comes from people who don't even have children at school. Mm. I mean, everybody has a view yeah. about the profession of teachers and mm. they don't value it as mm. a profession. Mm. Absolutely. And I think that that is one really um, great thing that my book has done is that I have actually taken readers into the classroom. You know, that first chapter, I bring you into just, you know, a stock standard Wednesday afternoon, just the very last hour of school. And, you know, that, that, um, that picture of what it's really like to be a teacher and what it's really like to be in a classroom, that's been absent from so much of the discussion. You know, you can turn on the news any day of the week and there will be something mentioned about education and they'll use words like NAPLAN or funding or Gonski. Um, and those words don't capture what it really is to be a teacher. It doesn't capture the classroom and the ongoing story that goes on in there. I think too that, you know, the way we're talking about education and the way it's spoken about in the, in the media is impacting this landscape as well. And that's, um, you know, teacher morale is at a real all-time low. You know, teachers are just feeling so demoralised by the work that they're being asked to do and the way they're being spoken about and the way they're being treated. And, you know, the people that are working every day with the beautiful um, young Australians that are going to be our future, you know, the people that are teaching them, they should feel happy and energised and bright and, you know, bringing their best selves to work, not sort of dragging themselves through the motions yeah. each day. You know, you're dead right. There's that whole... Um, Thing about you know um, uh, mothers at the gate or mm. parents at the gate. Um, I am lucky enough to pick up my niece's children from school on a Monday. I know it's my favourite day of the week, yeah. and that's today. Yeah. Um, but what brings joy to me very often if I go and pick them up and they're holding the teacher's hand yes. and they're walking out of the room and the joy that they actually really love being mm. there. So there's that mm. and there are those people that, you know, those teachers that give all, but then there's all the outside forces coming in at mm. them. Um, mm-hmm. And really, has any profession been scrutinised to that degree? Look, I don't know. I, I, and do you know what I, I suspect is that if any other profession was scrutinised to this degree, there'd be a complete uprising, you know. Yeah. There'd be rioting in the streets. But teachers, you know, um, and I've talked to a lot of teachers about this is, 
the, the work of teaching is a very personal, relational occupation. And teachers do so much just because of the love of the job, just because they love the kids, yeah. they love to teach. And I actually think that good nature and that generous spirit and that kind heart of teachers has really been taken advantage of, you know, and we're just slinging mud at them thinking that they'll take it. But, you know, they're at breaking point. They're leaving in, yeah, in masses. And we're tracking that with those early career teachers who have been there the first five years. But teachers like me who leave mid-career yeah. and those who retire early, they're not being tracked and accounted for. So I think we're losing a great deal more teachers than we even truly know. Well, and also too, like who's going to go into it when you're reading what you're reading in the media, when mm. you're reading about a teacher being stabbed? Mm. I mean, that's hardly an ad yeah. for going to study yeah. education. Yeah, is absolutely. And it is difficult. I get asked a lot, you know, would I still... Um, encourage people to go into teaching and it's difficult with a um, with a true and full and open heart to say yes do it it's it's the best job in the world I mean I still believe that that it is the most satisfying and rewarding and life-changing job in the world but it's a re I, I tell people now it's a really really hard job it's likely the hardest job you will do yeah, I agree with that so yeah I think that um I, I think that those people going into teaching now really need to go in with their eyes wide open. Um, because Do you think it's the professionalism of teachers, though, starts in the organisation? I mean, a lot of the stories I hear is the way that teachers are even treated within the school, mm. that very often the the actual system doesn't allow for their profession. Mm. Do you do you Absolutely. agree with that? Yes, yes, I do agree with that. I think that there's there's um, one of the issues there is that many of those who govern um, education, so those who work in the departments that hand out directives, those who are policy makers, um, and who work at things like NAPLAN and um, on the Australian curriculum people like that, they're actually not educators themselves. Yeah. They have come from other um, industries and they bring a, a wealth of knowledge and I have a zero doubt that they have the best interests of teachers and kids at heart, but they have no idea about this work that is teaching and, and really about learning and how, um, how complex and nuanced learning is and they're making those decisions. And so then for the, the professional teachers who experience that, uh, they're at a loss because they're trying to conform to something that they know within themselves isn't really right and it's not really true to their and profession. I, th I think the, the, the principal should set the tone, mm. you know, with parents. Do mm. you believe that? Like, these are my professional teachers. Yes. This is how this school operates mm. and this is how we do it. Yeah, but so much of that has been taken away from principals. And really, when I speak to teachers, what they say makes a good principal these days is a principal that buffers them from all the stuff that gets pressed down you know, this top-down effect of um, administrivia that comes down on teachers. A good leader buffers teachers from that and says no to a lot of things and stands up against those directives and says, this doesn't serve my school. But then that puts principals under an enormous amount of pressure too. And that's a, you know, that's a real challenge as well because, you know, we should have principals going into schools who feel energised and happy, Absolutely. not as though they're going into battle each day. Yeah. It, you know, and I'm always thinking too, 
to, this is Australia, you know, like we, we are a rich, well-resourced country. We have a wealth of knowledge. We have so many opportunities. We have great freedoms. we have freedoms. good schools. We have good schools, you know, how we have made this um, beautiful thing called learning so complex and ragged and, and like a battlefield. I just don't even know how we got here. You know, yeah. we're capable of doing how so much How did we better. get here? I think we got here because we took some um, misguided advice. We followed sort of models from the states in terms of um, buying into a belief that you can test and quantify and measure learning and that um, we would do that through NAPLAN. I think that that really had far-reaching effects because it, it, it really contributed to changing that landscape. I think too that we um, probably went through a stage where we held too much account into those measures of um, international scores like PISA, our yeah. scores began to slip a little. And instead of sort of just going, okay, well, let's ride this out. Let's let's look for some patterns. We sort of did a knee-jerk reaction and we and we leapt to NAPLAN. And, and that was, I think that was a grave mistake and we have, we're still feeling the effects of that. Tell me about you and tell me, um, uh, you know, where you started and, mm. you know, where you were teaching and how you kind of got to writing this essay and now the book. Mm. Well, I started out like I think almost every teacher starts out. I was um, idealistic. I was fresh out of university and I truly thought I was going to save the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was fortunate enough to win um, a prize at the end of my university um, degree and it, the prize included $3,000. And so um, that was a plane ticket to the UK and back. So I started teaching in the UK and... Um, uh, very quickly had those rose-coloured glasses, you know, ripped yeah. off my face when I, um, you know, encountered students with all these various needs and um, some of them very gifted and talented and some of them illiterate and they're all sitting together in, in the one classroom. And also um, understanding the um, relationships that go on within our school staff rooms as well, you know, the the subtle pecking orders and the... the um, the complexities of that as well. So it was like every teacher, I went through a baptism of fire, but for many, many years, I just was thriving on the joy of seeing children grow and contributing to that growth, seeing and feeling the relationships and the connections that I could have with students and the impact that that could have. And in those very first few years of teaching, I truly know that I was changing lives. And those kids that I taught in those first few years, they are still in touch with me you know mm. I um, traveled to Perth recently and um, I stayed at one of my um, students houses you know like you know and spent time with them and held their little baby and you know really engaged with them you don't and, look that old oh, look, yeah well I am <laughs> um, and you know what a joy that yeah, is you know yes. to think that you've touched their life in that way that they would welcome you into their home and that they want to spend time with you it was just such so where a joy. did you teach when you came back from the UK. When I came back from the UK, I was on the far south coast of New South Wales, which is where right. I've um, spent most of my teaching career. And um, yeah, and I've taught, you know, a lot of the schools around there, you know, it's a reasonably low socioeconomic um, area. And so, you know, a lot of those kids there presented with um, some pretty challenging behaviours and some, you know, th they probably just... 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I had some beliefs within themselves about, you know, what school offered them and what learning was about, you know. So much of the work I was doing was breaking that open and helping them understand that, you know, learning is something we're constantly doing. Learning gives you opportunities, um, you know, and that as a teacher, I'm not your enemy, you know, yeah. I'm on your side, you know. So a lot of those really important things were a big part of the work that I was doing. And then as the years went on and all these other things kept creeping in, I found more and more of my time was spent doing paperwork, documentation, creating programs, writing reports, oh, and meetings. I cannot tell you about the endless, endless, endless meetings. And, you know, I found myself towards the end of my career realising that I wasn't forming those connections with my students that really mattered. I wasn't forming those strong relationships that were needed for good teaching and good learning. And the other thing was, and this sounds funny, but it's really sad, is I was wishing that the kids would stay home so I could get all my work done. And that... The, mm, the, what is that? That's yeah. just the greatest contradiction ever, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Children attending should be the thing I need in order to do my work. Yeah. So I knew at that point that something was really at odds in the work that I was doing as a teacher. Yeah, that's a moment, isn't it? Mm, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and there's many teachers out there who will listen to this and say, yep, yep. I feel that, you know, yeah. because oh, they're yeah. just weighed down by the, the amount of, um, you know, other work that they're required to do. Okay, so tell me, um, had you resigned before you wrote the essay? Yes, I had resigned. So I had wanted to resign and my principal um, had said to me, no, no, don't resign, don't resign. You know, we don't want to lose you. He recognised me as, you know, as a really great teacher and I know that I was a great teacher. Um, but my employer had said, no, look, we're not giving any more um, long-term leave without pay. You you know, you need to make a decision about what you're going to do. And my beautiful principal went into bat for me and he said, look, we don't want to lose this teacher. Give her 12 months. So I had my 12 months to think about my position and whether I wanted to give it up. And the 12 months passed and I, I went in and I said, no, I still want to give up my position. And it was funny because it was sort of, you know, the end of, towards the end of the school year 
and by this time the principal was just so harried and, you know, overworked and overwrought himself that he went, yep, all right, and he just took my resignation. No, you know, there was no more going into bat, you know, and that's a really sad thing is to watch your colleagues, you know, going through this as well. So it was after that resignation that then I was able to write the essay because teachers are really... um, Gagged. They're not allowed to speak about their profession. They're not allowed to speak out about things. They get strongly reprimanded and um, threatened with a code of conduct. And you know, there's a there's a very real threat that they'll lose their position um, if they speak out about things that they're dissatisfied with. So it wasn't until after I had resigned that I knew I was safe to write about and speak about the the things that I saw as the big issues in education. And did you have a clue as to? how it was going to be received. I mean, it was so overwhelmingly. Well, I mean, it must have resonated with almost every teacher in this country. Yeah, and look, that that essay with Griffith Review, it, look, I had been working on it quite seriously and the night before or the day before it was due, I was working on it that night and just going over and over it again. And, you know, there was one little part and I was sort of agonising over it and I had this thought. I thought... Oh, Gab, don't worry about it. No one's going to read this anyway. And I think to date it is still one of their most read essays. And, yeah. you know, it went on to, to me being shortlisted for a Walkley Award. You know, that I think that shows that I really had no idea that I would be lifting the lid off this can of worms that would um, reach so many people and affect so many people. And yeah. why do you think that happened? I think it happened um, for a couple of reasons. First, I think the time was right. I think so much about the success of any writer is actually about timing, but also it's a timely issue and I think teachers were just fed up enough to be ready to hear this and to embrace it and to share it. Um, The other thing um, that I think... uh, happened was that it was, I sound a bit arrogant, but it was well written in terms of it brought readers into the classroom. You know, that essay begins with me talking about the kids that I teach. And you cannot deny that when you're, even as a reader, when you're meeting and hearing about these little vulnerable people, you can't help but be affected and feel Mm. connected to that. So I think there was something in the, in the way that I wrote it because it was a true teacher's voice that was, that was written. Because you're a true teacher. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't someone from the outside looking in, it was it was a true teacher saying, "Here, here is what it is." Yeah, yeah. And what kind of change do you think it's has it impacted? Any, you know, mm. can you see some change coming from it? I can see that teachers are um, ready to find their voice and that teachers are ready to agitate for more change and to to really crack this conversation and this discussion open. I think that for those further up what I call the food chain, I think it's hard for them to really hear and and feel this story because it really challenges them and it challenges the work that they're doing and the decisions that they're making and the decisions that have been made. I think it's very confronting for a politician to sort of look and think, oh, jeepers, you know, my party made all these decisions that led to this point or, you know, we sat by and let this go on without challenging it. Well, without asking the users, in a way, being the teachers, is this working or is this not? Yeah, exactly. I think that... um, 
you know, it's going to take, um, I always say we need a politician with a vision, someone who can see, look look to the future and, and, and imagine something that's better than what we've got now. We need that politician to be able to stand up and say, you know what, this is not working and yeah. I, can, I can see a way forward. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that we've got a politician with that uh, vision at the moment. Um, so, look, has it changed anything? At face value, no, but, you know, there's a stirring, there's a rumbling, you know, the tectonic plates are beginning to shift, I, I believe, and, mm. I, and I hold hope for that as well. Well, and I think, too, if you're a teacher, it just gives you hope. It does, yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. You know, on that level. Yeah. and You're being heard. Yeah, there's something about my story, even though there's it's not sort of a happy ending or anything like that at the end of this story. You know, I quit the job and, and people read it and they're devastated and they feel what a loss it is. However, there's something about them hearing about themselves as teachers in this story that reassures them and makes them think, oh, it's not just me and I'm not just yep. going crazy and I'm not alone. Yep. So it's opened up those kind of conversations. And if that sustains a teacher to go on and teach one more year or one more term, I'm happy with that. That's yeah. progress. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It really is. And what are you doing now? So now I'm working on my next book, which is um, titled A Letter to the Parents of Australia. Yeah. Because what um, I think needs to happen now is that we need to get parents on board and we need to get parents understanding why teachers are feeling like this, why this school um, system needs to be changed and also how it affects the, their, their children. The, my students in my classroom are, are their own child. So how does this marry together and what does it mean? I think that um, at the moment the relationship between teachers and parents is really, really fraught. You yeah, know, teachers broken. are almost scared of parents because parents have so much clout and so much power and they can really bring a teacher to ground zero if they want to. And that is not ideal for anyone's learning or progress or um, professional work. It's not work. respecting professionalism. It's not respecting professionalism at all. So I want to work towards repairing that relationship. I'm not, um, I'm not willing to throw parents under the bus. They're not the enemy here. They're misguided and they've misunderstood the very important work that teachers do. Absolutely. Mm. I think that, that that definitely needs to be addressed and mm. we need to be hearing about it. Mm. Um, and I really think that um, in terms of the future and, and in terms of raising the whole child, it's mm. about respect as well because a lot of that lack of respect does crawl into the classroom, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, you know, you hear kids saying, you know, if you make me stay in and finish this work, my mum will sue you. you know, <gasps> parent, uh, teachers hear this sort of stuff all the time, yeah. And I heard another interesting one the other day where a teacher was asked, a mother came in, very well-meaning, just not understanding the work that teachers do and said, look, um, could you just check the RSVPs on my daughter's um, birthday party? Could you just quickly sit everyone down and go through because not all the parents have gotten back to me and I need to know that. And, you know, the teacher was just sort of looking at this parent like... I have work to do. You know, we're yeah. here to learn. I'm not, I'm not an events organiser. Yeah, organizer. I'm not your child's PA. <laughs> yeah. Please excuse me, but this yeah. is not the work I do. So, that you know, there's these sort of hardcore threatening sort of behaviours that come from parents, but then there's all these sort of seemingly harmless and, and well-meaning, um, you know, just little stuff-ups that come from parents because they just don't understand the yeah. work that teachers do. 
Um, I I was um, I had an author in the other day, um, the lovely Trent Dalton. Oh, you know, I'd have, yeah. he's a gem. Aren't we all crazy he in love with him? He is a gem, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, it just dawned on me, he was talking about being a senior journalist. Mm. And I was driving home that night and I thought, maybe that's a structure we should give teachers. Mm. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Because there is something that is lacking in mm. the way that we identify them. Mm. And I don't want to, you know, we don't mm. want to cause another level of hierarchy, of course. Yeah, yeah. But we need to understand mm. that they're professionals. Mm. Absolutely, And I wonder yeah. how you do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. At the moment in education, we have professional teaching standards, but really they're a bit of a joke because they actually do quite a lot of damage to the collegial nature of teaching. And also, too, they don't acknowledge uh, experience. It's more yes. about if you can do good paperwork, you can very quickly leap through those standards. And that uh, being good at paperwork is not the measure of a good teacher. No. So, yeah, I, I've often um, thought about, and I'm actually a little bit obsessed with the idea of mentoring. You know, I yeah. think a, a senior teacher, a more experienced teacher, mentoring a new career teacher, that just makes sense. You Absolutely. know, the mutual learning that can be done. You know, the senior teacher is... Um, it, well, first of all, a senior teacher would love to just soak up all the enthusiasm that a new career teacher has, but also their fresh knowledge out of university. Absolutely. And new types of learning. New and, types yeah, of new learning. New techniques. New techniques, all of that. And then similarly, the new career teacher can gain from the senior teacher, you know, uh, experience uh, um, and understandings on managing behaviour, you know, all the all the old tricks in the book, you yeah. know. So I just think that there's so much to be learnt from one another and and we could do that quite simply and we could reduce a whole lot of administration if we did that. But Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think really we need to stop trying to say that teaching is like um, any other um, career or any other profession. It's not like anything else. You can't apply a business model. You can't say, oh, this is what doctors do, so teachers should do it. We're professionals in a very unique, complex, nuanced, relational profession, and so we need a system that supports that. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do yeah. miss it. I, I grieve it, actually, and I often when I speak about it, I get teary because... I was. I was an excellent teacher and I really miss it. I miss the classroom and I miss the kids. I miss the kids so much. They're just, yeah, they're yeah. just such energy givers and, and, and the love they give you. Oh, it's, it's delicious. Isn't yes, it? Yeah. it is. And, yeah. you know, you get that moment when they look at you, when you've taught them something and then they can do it. And that moment when they look at you, their eyes are shiny and there's like a sense of pride on their face and they, they're looking at you and they're saying, did you see me do that? Yeah. Oh, that's just beautiful. It's magic. Yeah. Tabby Stroud, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Better reading. It's been lovely being here. Thanks. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app 
join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.